Aren't you glad that you're not out shopping? Anybody be out there fighting the crowds and getting last-minute presents and gifts? I don't know about you. I'm so glad I'm here with each and every one of you. In fact, thinking about shopping reminds me of a story of a man who went Christmas shopping for his wife. And he was in a department store, and he had a buggy, and in the buggy was his little baby, and the baby was crying. The man's walking up and down the aisle and saying in a soft voice, it's okay, Albert. It's going to be okay, Albert. You got this, Albert. We're going to be leaving in just a little while, Albert. Come on, you can do it, Albert. There was a lady walking by. She was impressed. She hears the man softly saying these things, and she addresses the man and says, Wow, you are such a great father to be sitting there soothing your son, Albert. The man just looked at the lady and said, Hey, lady, I'm Albert. (laughs) See, you could be out there shopping with Albert, but we're here celebrating the real reason for the season, which is Jesus. And uh, it's so great for us to pause in the busyness of our schedule. That all the things that you could be doing, and I know some of you are tempted right now to be shopping online, looking for the sales, but you're here, fully focused. Why? Because he is worthy of it all. And I'm grateful that we get to do this. I, I, I have some concerns as a pastor, you know. Uh, for me, my job is to look at what's happening in the world around us and then evaluate how that impacts us as a church. And my concern is we're losing sight of the real reason for this season. That in America, the stats say that 92% of Americans celebrate Christmas, but only 51% believe it's a religious holiday. So almost half of Americans have lost the true reason for this season. And if we're not careful, we'll follow what the world does instead of being the trendsetters, being the ones that shape culture. Culture will begin to shape us. And so I thought as I started the message today, I would do something that I've not done. But I want to read the Christmas story. Can I do that tonight? I've got 16 verses that I'm going to read. And then, actually, that was a rhetorical question. Can I do that? It wasn't really asking, but you could say yes. Oh, that'd be great, Pastor. I got my kids here. I'd love to. I'd be fascinated to see, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder if there's people in here. We've been going to church our whole life, but you've never even heard the Christmas story. We know the Christmas story, but have we read it? And so I thought I would just pause and just read it and then give a few thoughts for tonight. It's found, one of the places it's found in the gospel is Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 16. It's the birth of Jesus. And uh, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Skip down to, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that causes great joy for all people. Today in a town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see these things that have happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. I want to share just a few moments on the idea that Christmas changes everything. Christmas changes everything. Here we read one of the greatest stories that has ever been told. And the fascinating thing about this story is regardless of what skeptics and doubters and atheists say, history has proven that this story is not a fable. It's not a wise tale. It's not folklore. It's not a hoax. My wife loves to kid me because I like to watch anything about Bigfoot. Now the crazy thing is with all the technology today, we still have not caught Bigfoot. And at some point you realize if there's no evidence, then it's probably not real. Can I tell you the story of Jesus? There is evidence. There is proof. In fact, Luke, the one who is one of the ones who write this, is actually a doctor. And he is writing it as a historian, keeping all the facts and the details meticulously written down on an account so that there would be verified evidence and proof that Jesus is real. That God, wrapped in humanity, the God of universe, stepped out of divinity into time and laid in a manger. To be born here and raised up, not just to live a normal life, but to live a life of sacrifice. That at the end of his life would willingly lay it down, die on a cross, and it is his blood that gives us the right to access God. That's how we experience salvation. It's not a fable. It's not a folklore. It's actual events. And Matthew 1.23, I love what is said here by Matthew. He says, the virgin will conceive and give, a birth, give birth to a son. They will call him. Everybody say what they call him. Say it one more time. Now, the fascinating thing about this title is it means God with us. God is present. I know he doesn't always feel like it. I'm a pastor, and I wish I could tell you I had a hotline to God, but it's just not true. I go through good moments and bad moments just like you. There are times when I hear him and times when I don't. There are times when I feel him and times when I don't. But when I don't, what I realize is that his truth is greater than my reality. That I might not feel that God is with me, but God is with me. It may not seem that he is close, but he has never left me. In fact, if you're here tonight and you're feeling alone, I want you to know God is your companion. He hadn't left you. If you're feeling lost, I want you to know that God is your guide. If you're feeling weak, God is your strength. If you're sick in this house, I want you to know God is your healer. If you're hurting, God wants to give you hope. Emmanuel, God with us. And not only is he with us, he came to seek and to save us. Look at Luke chapter 2 verse 11. There was born 
for you a baby, a child. No, what's it say? A savior. Luke identifies, yes, he was a child, but in the wrappings of this child was salvation itself, that Jesus Christ came to save humanity. Think about that. It's not just a baby was born. A savior was born. And our greatest need in life is not information. Because if it would have been information, then God would have sent us an educator. Our greatest need in life is not technology. Otherwise, God would have sent us a scientist. Our greatest need in life is not money, though the world says it is. But had it been money, God would have sent us an economist. The greatest need in life is not pleasure, or God would have sent us an entertainer. Our greatest need in life is forgiveness, which is why God sent us a Savior, and his name is Jesus. God with us. Let me say it again. Christmas changes everything. And it's so important that we realize that. Look, I'm going to celebrate Christmas. I love exchanging gifts. I love Santa. In fact, Santa was here, I think it was last week, because he got saved, and he comes and wraps up here, and Anchor bend, and I'm going to celebrate with it, but I'm not going to get distracted with a man in a red suit and allow him to distract me from the king that was born in a manger. I've got to know this, and even as Christians, we've got to highlight this because otherwise what will happen is culture will cause us to drift. It will cause us to miss the reality of this present celebration of a God who is worthy of it all. I love this Christmas season. Here's what I like about it. Christmas informs the culture. Think about This is why you have to be public with your faith. And if you're not a believer, I'm not talking to you. But if you have professed your life as a believer and you're a follower of Jesus, we cannot sit by silent. And I'm not talking about a mentality where we go and we argue with people and we try to go make people believe what we believe. I'm talking about a life that is lived in public that stands bright and shines bright to the world, that when they see you walk through the pain you're walking through, want to know why you have the peace you have. How that in the midst of a situation where you should have no, no joy, how do you have joy? Well, there's a reason I've got joy, because you're making a mistake. You're equating my joy to your happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is based on circumstance. But as a believer, I know that joy comes in God's presence. That if I'll get in his presence, regardless of the situation, I'll experience the joy of God, which is what the world is desperate for. So we recognize that if I live a life, and, and this is where I would challenge us to not cave to the pressures of political correctness. The very term Merry Christmas has been hijacked out of culture and society and replaced with words like happy holidays, season's greetings. And I love all of those terms, but I'm going to choose to continue with Merry Christmas because in my Christmas, Christ is at the center. And if we as Christians will begin to step up and step out and not allow ourselves to placate to all of the naysayers who try to divide and to suppress and to make you feel like you're inferior and a bigot and a whoremonger and a hater, I want you to know the greatest thing you could ever do is say Merry Christmas and allow the lost to see there is a Savior that is truly born. 
in this place. And again, I'm not talking about hostility. I'm just talking about boldness. That Christ is the reason for this season. Think about this. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Skeptics and unbelievers alike come face to face with the gospel message wrapped in holiday cheer. That as we express the true meaning, that there's coming face to face with a God that is real, not a fable, not a fairy tale, not a folklore, but historically factual God that is real that stepped into humanity. And he is a king, the true king. Look at what Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says. He is prophesying what hasn't taken place, but look at how he describes Jesus. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace, and the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then and forevermore. So think about what he is saying. He's saying that Jesus came to establish a government. It is God's government, God's kingdom, established in this earth that when the world sees us, they see that there is a better way to live, a better life that we can demonstrate for them that represents God's kingdom, not the enemy. I want you to know, make no mistake about it, there is a war that is taking place. And it is a battle between good and evil, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And as a church, it's important for us to continue to display and to promote and to encourage one another to celebrate the true reason for this season. So not only does Christmas inform culture, here's what I want you to hear. Write this down. Christmas transforms culture. Transforms it. I don't want to just inform people. I mean, no, I want to transform. I, I want the fact that we as people are here, and because we're here, the world is impacted in a way that leads them back to Jesus Christ. It's not about a personality. It's not about a logo. It's not about egos. It's about Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And our greatest desire is that as we live this life, the world would be transformed because of the power of God that's demonstrated. I love Paul's uh, writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Look at how he so, says it. He says, because our gospel, what's the gospel? It's good news. How many know that you've got the good news that this world is desperate to hear? The, the hope of a Savior that has come. He says, the gospel came not simply with words. Aren't you glad? It didn't just come simply with words, but it came with power. Everybody say that, power, 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 power. And the Holy Spirit and a deep conviction that the power of God is on the inside of you that we could transform culture, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And here's how we do it. We can only bring transformation if we've experienced transformation. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Here we see Paul is writing... And he is talking about people that have been born again. 
born again. Now, if you're new to the faith or you're here and you're, you're not familiar with that term, what that means is that you're a follower of Jesus, that you have surrendered your life to him. You've confessed him as Lord and Savior of your life. And when that happens, look at what happens. he says. He says, anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That we are transformed. So you want to transform culture? Allow God to transform you. You want to transform your marriage? Allow God to transform you. You want to transform your family? Allow God to transform you. You want to transform your work and your neighborhood and this city? Allow God to transform us. And the challenge that I've seen is that we're living lives not full of transformation but of religion. That we can do all the right things but have no power because God hadn't changed our life. So we're not talking about religious acts. We're talking about, God, would you change me? Would you save me? Would you set me free and fill me up with your power so that I can go and be the change agent in my community? Write this down. Transform people. Transform the culture. Society is our mission field. Make no mistake about it. And I want you to hear this. Those that are lost will never be the enemy. I'm concerned about people that under the banner of Christianity are hostile to those that are lost. I love the gospel that is full of the life of Jesus. He hung out with sinners and prostitutes and the lowly and those that society has discarded and he never cast anybody to the side. And in fact, when you read the stories of Jesus, the only people he ever got mad at were the religious and I think it would be pretty amazing that as a church we would rise up and not judge the lost but love the lost. Not try to argue with them but just live your life out. If, uh, Assisi's, uh, Frank, uh, Francis Assisi, he said this, he said, preach the gospel and if necessary use words. I love it because we think you got to argue, I think you just got to live. How do you get up? How do you, how do you show kindness? How do you walk in the place where you work, in the family that you live in? That, that speaks way more than the words that you say. And then that allows us to go in with the power of God and reach the mission field God has called us to. And then what we see is not only can you transform culture, but you begin to reform culture. You begin to reshape it and I have something I want to read out. I read this and I thought it was fascinating because this is how we can see and begin to have a different perspective and begin to reform and reshape some of the symbols of this season. Look at some of the things here. So we see Christmas gifts. Let those Christmas gifts this holiday remind us of God's greatest gift, His Son. Where others may see Christmas candles, let it remind us of him who is really the light of the world. Where people see Christmas trees, let us see one another, or I'm sorry, Christmas trees, let us or let, remind us of another tree upon which he died. May the Christmas cheer remind us of him who said, be of good cheer. May the Christmas feast remind us of him who is the bread of life. May the Christmas bells remind us of the glorious proclamation of his birth. May the Christmas carols remind us of the songs the angels sang. Glory to God 
in the highest. May the Christmas season remind us in every way that Jesus Christ is king. That he's the king. And I know when you're sitting out there, sometimes if you're, if you're new to the faith or a Christian, you can start to say, Pastor, I don't, I don't really know where to start. I don't know how to start. How do I engage culture? How do I step into this assignment of reaching the world around me? Here's what I would say. If you don't know where to start, we've got you. In fact, starting January 1st, we've created a class called Next Steps. And the whole premise of that class is to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. That you're going to learn what it means to be a disciple. That each and every Sunday for about 45 minutes after each service, you go to the class and let us give you tools that equip you so that you can go out into the world and make the difference that God has called you to make. And I want to challenge you. To be a disciple is to be intentional. That it's not going to happen this year. You're not going to transform culture. You're not going to reform culture unless you're intentional with what you decide to live out this year. So let this year be a year that as believers, we truly live out the gospel message. I want to close with Ephesians 3.20. I love this passage that we as believers can hold on to. And I know I, I confess this and pray this often in my life. I love what it says. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Imagine that passage. That whatever you think about, whatever you're asking God about, God says, look, I want you to get your hopes up. The God of heaven can do immeasurably more than what you ask what you think, what you imagine. And knowing the goodness of God, there's something fascinating when you embrace that and say, God, I'm going to ask you for what I know to ask you, but I'm going to believe for more that maybe only you know about and I don't have a clue about. Reminds me of a story that I heard about a famous golfer. He went to play a series of exhibition matches in Saudi Arabia and the king of Saudi Arabia at the end of this tournament went to the golfer and was so impressed with him. He said, I want to give you a gift. I want, to, I want to bless you with something because you played so well. And the golfer told the king, oh, your highness, I, I'm okay. Just being here was enough for me. The king responded to the pro golfer and said, if you don't allow me to give you something, you're going to offend me. Well, the golfer thought about it and said, well, your highness, you could give me a golf club. That'd be a great memento for me in my experience. I can put it up and remember the great time that I had here. The next day, the golfer was in the hotel and the king of Saudi Arabia goes and sends a messenger to his room. And that messenger hands the professional golfer a deed to a golf club. Thousands of acres of land and trees and lakes with a golf club. That king did more than the golfer ever imagined. Think about the God of this universe, the maker of heaven and earth. What an amazing gift he is to us and the immeasurably more that he will bless us with because he is a good father. And I think the greatest gift 
that we could receive from God as the gift of salvation. I wonder if we could bow our heads and close our eyes. In this place, many of you have gone through this Christmas time and I recognize it's not always a great time for everybody. That there are struggles, there are challenges, there are moments where the pain is real. If I were to ask you if you had a relationship with God, you might even say, no, I don't. I don't have a relationship with Him. I want you to know the God of the universe has invited you to this place as a divine setup. That His grace is here, His power is here. And I want to encourage you to respond. Here's what I know. Salvation is a gift. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. And in this moment, I want to extend an invitation for those of you that have wandered away from God. Or those of you that want to come to God for the very first time to confess him as your Lord. 